Can we give that unto the Lord right now? Love Him. Praise Him. Hallelujah. What an honor it is to be here once again. Last night felt so good in this house. And uh, it was such an amazing atmosphere uh, to be a part of. And I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your response to the Word of the Lord. Oh, I'm always troubled. And I thank God for, I think it was G.A. Mangan, it may, it may have been him. He said, we, we don't have to have music. We don't have to have praise and worship to have service. But I sure don't want to do it without it. And uh, the, the, the atmosphere that has been set in this place by this praise team and this band has been second to none. What an awesome job. Can we give this band and this praise team... A hand clap. I'd sure hate. I'd sure hate to do it without them. I give honor uh, to the leadership, to all of uh, the state of Indiana, all the ministry, all the pastors in the house of the Lord. Indiana's been, it's been good to me. I got a wife from Indiana. Thank you, Jesus. All you, all you young men in there, you're sitting out there thinking, ah, it's never going to happen for me. It's going to happen. I promise. The Lord's going to, but she's going to be, she's going to be apostolic, though. She's going to be godly. She's going to be holy. Young ladies, I promise you that, that, that it's, it's going to happen. It's all in God's timing. It's going to happen. But make sure they're at the front, not the back. Make sure they're at the front, not the back. Indiana has been good to me. Uh, Brother Hampshire was talking. Let me tell you, I'm not old. I'm not care what you say. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not an old man, but I felt old last night because Brother Hampshire, he was leading me in here, and he said, you know, I remember years ago when you preached, I was like, hold up, chill, chill, chill down a little bit. Don't, don't say it like that. He said, you preached a message, and he, this is what got me tickled. He said, uh, uh, he said it was before Facebook. <laughs> I was like, let me tell you, that when you have preached in different eras, uh, you, you know, you, I, get, I, I got cracked up. I'm like, man, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was before Facebook Live, you know, before iPads. It was when you had the binder and you opened it up and you was going through all that stuff. But it's still the Word of God, it's still the Word of God. And, uh, but Indiana has been so, it's been so good to me. And... Uh, this, this district has been good to me. The pastors in this district have been good. The Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ has been good to me. I, I love the body of Christ. I love the body of Christ. And I'm so thankful uh, to be with you this morning. I want to preach today, and it's not going to go typically how I would end a, a conference or a convention. It's not, it's not going to be that typical message. It's going to be something different, but it's going to be what I feel to preach this morning, if you would uh, allow me to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, uh, verse 18. Put your finger there. Uh, go to uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 19. I feel like somebody... 
is going to be set free this morning. Some young people that are bound, but you don't even really know why you're bound. You are holding things that you don't even know why you're holding them. Numbers chapter 14 verse 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Everybody say the third and fourth generation. Deuteronomy 30 and 19 says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you, here's the options, life and death, blessing and cursing. And then it says, therefore, choose life. And this is what is... What it says after that, it follows up with this, that why, why choose life? Here's why. That both, well, if it's talking to you, why do you say both? That you, that thou and thy seed may live. That not just you, but the generations to come. It's good to see Brother Wedding here uh, this morning. We go way back as well. When I was dating my wife up in South Bend, Indiana, I loved the wedding family. I want to preach this morning on this subject. If you'll help me, give me some time to get there. On this subject, the battle of your father is here. The ba- Look at your neighbor say, the battle of your father is here. Would you set your Bibles down? Would you lift your hands across this building right now? Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you. God, I give you all the glory. I give you all the honor. God, I'm asking you, God, to anoint this service tonight. God, I'm asking you to minister, God, in a deep way. God, not something surface level. God, we want to go deeper. God, because I know you've got a plan and you've got a path, you've got a purpose for, for these people, these young people in this room right now. We speak all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Clap your hands as loud as you can. You may be seated this morning. The battle of your father is here. A term that was used many times growing up. I was just a young kid, but I heard this term a lot. And not that it's not used anymore. I just don't hear it as often as as I have in the past. And maybe that was because I, you know, growing up in a pastor's home, I remember setting uh, and I was blessed to do so, sitting in a living room after when everybody else went home, church was over for most folks. It just my living room as a child with living with my parents uh, and the evangelist, whoever was preaching that night. Um, it was just an, an extended service. We'd leave church, we'd come home. My mom would prepare supper. They'd sit there on the love seat and on the couch, and they they would begin to talk about the things of God. They would begin to talk about stories and, 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 and experiences. Uh, we, we did it last night, really, sitting there uh, around the, the table there. And Brother Bingham and, and Brother Gill and different ones said, Brother Gothra, uh, sitting there talking about the things of God. 
just random stuff, but it all, all about the kingdom. I grew up in that setting. And uh, one of the terms that I saw or I heard uh, on many occasions was uh, generational curse. It was talked about. It was a thing. It was something that uh, a generation then believed in. And I believe there's probably still people in this room that, that uh, would say, at the very least, say that it is a possibility that a curse be passed down generation to generation. It was believed to be t- passed down from one generation to another due to rebellion against God. It would suggest that if your family line was marked by divorce or incest or poverty or anger or other ungodly patterns that you were likely under a generational curse. The Bible says that these curses are tied to choices. Our scripture text says in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you two options, life or death, blessing or cursing. And therefore choose life that both thou thou and thy seed may live. Our families this morning, young people, listen to me, have the greatest influence on our development, including the development of our patterns of sin. Some would even say that family or generational curses or whatever, however you, however you want to say it, are passed down along generational lines. Exodus 34 and 7 says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And you might say today, I don't believe that. You might say that. And my response would simply be whether or not families inherit spiritual curses. It is obvious if you're standing where I am, pastoring a church, leading people, counseling on a weekly basis, visiting homes, helping young people. It is obvious that patterns of sin, at the very least, are passed down through families, regardless of how or why it's there. Everyone sins. I told you it'd be different this morning. But just as culture, ethnicity, gender can steer our patterns of sin in particular directions, so do our families. So do our families. And so... Whether we like it or not, we inherit many traits and preferences from the people that raise us, from the environment that we spend a lot of time in. And so here we are sitting in this place today carrying things that we may not even realize that we carry. Holding things that we may not even realize be something that is holding us back for 
for advancement in the kingdom of God. And when we acquire a sinful habit or belief that negatively affects our lives or those around us, this is sometimes known as a generational curse. It is the shadow side of behavior passed down through generations. I believe that sins of the fathers affect their children Not in the sense that God would regard the children as having also committed those same sins. Don't get me wrong here. But from the standpoint that the consequences of the sinful actions of an individual can have an adverse implication that affects that individual's descendants, even those though those descendants were not involved in or guilty of their ancestors' sinful actions. I'm going somewhere, I promise. You say, give me an example in Scripture. An example from Scripture that occurs would be the manner in which all of the Israelites including those who were too young to have had a voice in the matter at the time, were required to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of the adult Israelites' rejection of the report of the individuals whom Moses had sent to spy out the promised land. Hear me, every generation eventually will have to come face to face with the wilderness of their fathers that maybe they had nothing to do with. You say, what what, what are you saying? I'm saying that some of the things that this generation is facing in this country right now, some of the ideas that are facing, some of these things, let me tell you, young people, they are not your fault. Some of them aren't. You didn't make some of the decisions in our country that would lead to some of the things that are happening in our, in our political systems, in our universities, in our school systems. You didn't do that. That's what I'm saying. But what I am preaching today, whether or not you did them or not, whether or not we faced them or, or whether or not we had anything to do with the, 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 the advancement of these ideas, whether or not in your home the things that you are facing was, was because of of things that that, that you had anything to do with. My point is, we have to face the wilderness whether we like it or not. There's things in this world right now that I wish we could say, well, that's not us. That's not, you know, that, that, that was them. That was that generation. And so we don't have to put that's. I wish we could say that. But the fact is, there's got to be a generation that rises up that says, listen, I know we didn't ask for it to come this far, but we are going to have to stand up against the adversary and the curses and the ideology and the issues that have been placed upon this day, regardless if we had anything to do with it. Philip Caputo says, he says this, he says, so I guess every generation is doomed to fight its war, to endure the same old experiences, suffer the loss of the same old illusions, and learn the same old lessons on its own. Somebody hear me today, that we must face the wilderness before the wilderness overtakes us. When we don't conquer things in our life, it affects the next generation. One day you'll have kids 
One day you'll be married. One day the men that are leading this movement right now, they'll be old. Some will be gone. And you'll be leading this, this at the helm. And so because of that, we, we have to conquer things. We have to face things. Jacob birthed a great nation, but he had to conquer some things first. There was this very damaging sin that had come down through Jacob's family. He saw and he heard about this flaw in his grandfather Abraham. And now he sees the same sin repeated in his father Isaac. And he is beginning to see the same tendency in himself. Sometimes it's not flattering to see the see, seeing the traits in our own life. I had a dream about a man in our church several years ago. And this particular man hated, he hated his father. I, I, I want to minister here today. I know it's not a bunch of shouting and jumping, but listen to me, I want to help somebody. He hated, his, he, hated his, he hated his father and he hated his mother. They, they did not raise him the way that he, 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 it wasn't the best way to be raised, just to put it like that, not to say too much. But he got the Holy Ghost. For 20 years, he was a man that was older than I am. For 20 years, he served in leadership at our church. 20 years, he walked in the Holy Ghost. 20 years, he, he began to raise his own family in church. And, and he, he, even with the Holy Ghost and even with raising, being faithful to church, you would sit down and there were still some issues within him that he had not laid at the altar. And so I remember having conversations with him riding down the road. He would, he would, we would get on that topic, and it would all, it was almost like he would change. When it, you would talk about the Lord, he was joyful. You'd talk about revival, it was the most amazing conversation. You'd talk about all these things. But if you ever bring up his parents, he would change. And he would literally say, A God, what I would consider, what we would call, he was a preacher. He was a, he was a preacher. When you start talking, he would literally have the, the most ungodly words to say about his mother and his father. Did they merit those things? Absolutely. Probably. They deserved probably the things the way they raised. They deserted him, did all those things. And that, that preacher would look in that ghost conversation, he'd say, I hate them. I hate them. One day... Even though he was, he was my elder, a boldness come up over me. And I, I told him, I won't say his name, but I said, I said be careful how you talk about, about them. He looked at me and he was so mad at me. He said, well, how could you ever? You don't know what I went through. You don't know what I faced. And I said, the very thing that you hate, if you're not careful, you're going to become it. This ain't even in my notes, but I, I'm telling you, I feel there's such, a, there's, a, there's such an anointing that is in this place right now. I laid down at night and I had a dream uh, uh, about this particular man and he was standing in a field. 
And on either side in this wheat field, I looked at him. I was walking toward him. All of a sudden appeared was his mother on one side, his father on the other side. And in that dream, he was standing there looking at me, telling me to come on. And right before I got to him in the dream, his mother and his father faced him. And in the dream, stepped into his body. And he walked up. I said, Lord, I don't, know, I, I don't know how to tell this dream to him, but I know that you want me to tell him. So I told, I told this gentleman, I said, listen to me. This is the dream that I had. And the Holy Ghost said, the very thing that you hate, you are about to become until you lay it at an altar. He looked at me and he said, for what they did to me, I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them. And I, 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 to make a long story short, bitterness began to, it became stronger as the days went on, months went on. And, and, and because he would not come and defeat a generational curse that had been planted him year, years ago as a child, and he would not cast up at the feet of Jesus, this man lost his family backslid and now is, is struggling in areas the very thing that he hated about his own parents. I know you say, man, why are you preaching this after the, the move of God that we had last night? I'll tell you why. It's because God has struggled. There's a root in us that we can camouflage in a setting like this. There is some seeds in us that we can walk to the front. We can lift our hands. We can close our eyes. We can pray. We can speak in tongues. We can pray for others. But we leave with the same curse that is upon us. And it's never handled at the feet. Oh, somebody hear me right now. I wish somebody would stand to their feet and lift their hands and say before this day is over, we're going to have a real move of God and we're going to deal with some issues. I don't like talking about it, but today I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to address it in my life. Hear me. The history of Jacob continues as he watches his father repeat the same wrong behavior of his grandfather Abraham with the same damaging consequences. He sees Isaac under stress reacting to a threatening situation exactly like his grandfather did. I mean, it's, it's crazy. How you look, and, and it's literally the same, the same thing, generation after generation, a pattern of sin in the same family. He sees Isaac under, stre under stress, reacting to a threatening situation exactly like his grandfather did. Some of you have watched alcohol destroy your family generation after generation. Who's going to break the pattern? Some of you have watched perversion haunt your family on down the line. You can look at it uncle after uncle, father, mother, this, brother, sister. And you're looking and you're, it seems so relatable and it seems so obvious when you start bringing out that Abraham went through it and Isaac went through it and Jacob went through it and, and Exodus says and Deuteronomy says, choose life or death for, why? for thou seed and you. And I'm telling you right now that somebody Somebody's got to rise up in this generation and say it stops here. It stops here. It stops here. 
There's patterns. I feel. I'm telling you right now. I am. I, I, not, not. But not because I'm telling you that you, you. You guys are responding great. But if you could feel what I'm feeling in the spirit right now, I am fighting. The devil don't like what is happening in this room right now because lives are about to change when somebody gets a hold of what I'm saying right now. We're going to expose what the strategy of Satan is. You hear me? Some of you, you're fighting depression. You're fighting. You start thinking back. You're like, you know, you know, Mama did spend a lot of time laid up in a room, fighting things, fighting things, wondering why, why, why am I fighting this so, so strong? Why? You're wondering. We're about to expose the the enemy. We're about to get some things. We all have things we battle. Let me tell you, this is not beat up on your parents' day either. Can I tell you that? Don't go back home and say, bless God, that ain't of God. No, this is handling what you have to handle. This is taking care of business for you, not blaming others. Not being a victim. Not saying, oh, my, my, because of my family, I can't. That's not what I'm preaching right now. This is not making an excuse message. This is giving a generation an opportunity to come down to an altar and not leave all pretty, but let this altar lead bloody and make a sacrifice unto the Lord. And You want to know what I'm after, young people? I am after demonstration. We've had enticing words of man's wisdom. We've heard the greatest preaching that, that, that's ever been known to mankind. But you come to hear me right now. I am tired of, of, of just going through the motions. I'm ready to see a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I'm ready for you to be delivered. I'm ready for a generation to be anointed. I'm ready. We all have things we battle that link back to sin our relatives couldn't shake, couldn't conquer. We see this in other parts of Scripture. When David could not conquer his involvement with women, it was passed down to Solomon. David conquered many things, but he's laying on his deathbed. All the giants he had conquered, one that he didn't, is, 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 is that lust demon. Because he's laying on his deathbed. And the servant said, hey, go find the fed. Not to get too graphic here, but let's be honest. You watch worse than what, what I'm about to say. That wasn't judgmental. That's just fact. He said, bring in the fairest lady in the land. Bring in a, a, young, a young virgin. He said, and we'll know. What a, what a sad thing. We'll know if there's any life in him. Because David, he can't turn away. He can't turn away this. He never conquered it. As a teenager, as a young man, as a king, all that. He went through his whole life doing mighty things for God, but he could never conquer that. You say, what, what has that got to do with generation? What is that got? Because when Solomon gets over here, he's still fighting the same stuff. Why? How do you know that? Because he says, beware of the strange woman. You're talking about 
about a man that's got 700 concubines, 800 wives, and he's still looking across the fence. Why? Because there was a generation that didn't get down and deal with some things in their own life. You say, why are you preaching this, Brother Corey? I'll tell you why. Because I got kids coming up, and I got pastor at church, and 20 years I don't want to continue to be having to fight demonic attacks that could have been dealt with today. Oh, I wish somebody lift their hands right now and let the Holy Ghost come upon you. The battle of your father is upon us, and if we will fight it, we can stop. What was this family flaw, this generational sin that kept getting repeated? What was it that God wanted Jacob to forsake? What is it that Isaac does that his father Abraham had done? It is the sin of deception. It was a pattern of lying and deceiving. Isaac reacts to the threat of the famine the same way his father did. With the same lie. The same deception, the same damage to the family, the same loss of character and testimony. We have already seen this happen twice in Abraham's life. During the first famine, Abraham took his family to Egypt. Upon reaching the border, he begins to fear for his own life with no regard for what might happen to his wife. And so he tells her, he said, you tell the Egyptians that he is her brother. Then they won't kill him so that they can have her. And Abraham lies. And Sarah is taken by Pharaoh, but God steps in and inflicts Pharaoh and his household with serious diseases. Instead of trusting God to be with him and to bless him in a threatening situation, Abraham tries to bring the good into his life that he wants by lying and deceiving. This is not an isolated incident. It happened again. It became a behavioral pattern that was passed down to the next generation. The next time Abraham finds himself in a threatening situation, it is in the very same place where Isaac is, in the city of Gerar. And again, he fears for his life because of the beauty of his wife. And living in this pagan city with an unpredictable pagan ruler, Abraham, not trusting God to be good to him, in fear compromises his wife again by lying and saying, she is my sister. Again, God must step in and clean up the mess. Stay with me, I promise you. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. Some of us are wondering why we continue in things that we know are wrong and will not work. I'll tell you why. It's a pattern. It's generational. It's been passed down. And until somebody will observe that and take notice of that and say it stops here, not anymore. No more lying in my family. No more cheating in my family. No more drugs in my family. Ah, we're going to be apostolic. No more unfaithfulness in my family. No. You say I'm only seven. We were all 17 at one point, but somebody has got to, Bishop, you said it this morning. It's time somebody man up. It's time somebody flip the switch. It's time somebody says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of us are sitting here. Facing the same situation that our father faced years ago. 
that our mothers, you may not even realize it. You may not even know the testimony. You may not even know those things. But they faced them years ago. Maybe it's infidelity. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's running running from your problems. Maybe fill in the blank. I'm talking to everybody in this place tonight. We all have things that torment us. But I ask you, what will your choice be today? Deuteronomy 30 and 19, I'll call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. It's your choice. Don't you blame this on God. Don't you blame this on your parents. It's your choice. Let me tell you right I don't care who your daddy was, who your mama was. I'm telling you right now, it's your choice. You ain't going to get to get on, get on judgment day and say, but look who my dad. No, 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 no. It's your choice. You get to choose. It's your choice. It's not the generation before us. You can't live on that for the rest of your life. I come to tell you, you better choose you this day whom you will serve. It's your choice. Now Jacob watches as Isaac, his father, repeats the same behavior in the same city for the same reason. A generation later, Isaac also falls to trust God's promises to be with the family and to protect them. And he seeks good for himself by resorting to the same lie, the same deception because of the same fear. And the family sin shows itself again. Genesis 26, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister. (laughs) For he feared to say, she is my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Another lie! Same family. Same stinking. Verse 8 says, and it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Abimelech's palace was undoubtedly the highest building in Gerar, where from his windows he could look down into the streets of his city and into the windows of his houses below him from where the curtains were not closed. And he looks down into the window of the foreigner's house, and he realized quickly, that's not his sister. That's not his sister. Immediately, the king knows. And it it is his turn to be afraid. Because he knew the history of his father who came into contact with his family. And he fears that some of his men might have acted inappropriately toward Rebecca, assuming she was single. And he remembered what his father was when kings had said what would happen if anyone mistreated or dishonored the women of this family in any way. And Abimelech could not believe that the son of Abraham would do the same thing that Abraham had done before him. Lies and deceptions again. And you go to verse 9 and listen to this. What a powerful portion of this story. And Abimelech called Isaac and he said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. And how, how saidst thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? 
one of the people might lightly have tried to lie with thy wife and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us and Abimelech charged all of his people saying he that touch this man or his wife shall surely be put you want to know what I'm telling you tonight or this morning that God has protected you and you ain't got to lie about it you ain't got to be deceptive about it you ain't got to be a, you ain't got to be scared of the of the curse that's been put on you all you got to do is face it because God is on your side and if you understand if God be for me who can be against me you'll realize there's not a battle you can't conquer there's not a sin you can't overcome there's not a lie you I wish somebody would lift their hands right now and let the Holy Ghost set upon you I'm not finished but I'm telling you God is reaching for somebody in this building Hear me, hear me. God, you may be seated. Isaac says, if I would have trusted God, if Isaac would have trusted God, his goodness would have come to Isaac and his integrity and his testimony and his reputation would have been preserved. And Jacob watched this and all of his life he struggled with the tendency to lie. Tendency to deceive. All of his life, Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob. And God's point to having Jacob watch his father repeat the same fear and distrust of God was so that God could say to him, Jacob, you don't need to act this way. I'll be with you. I'll keep the promises to you. You can break the pattern. You can be delivered. And Jacob, even though he had to fight against the same tendency to fall into the sin of deceiving and lying, he eventually conquered it and birthed the nation that still to this day is watched and loved. Somebody said, I was born with addictions. Somebody said, I would preach I was born with a temper. I was born with a tendency to lie. I was born. And my answer to that is, were you not born again? Oh, you don't know about me, brother. It's in my family to fight. Oh, my goodness. I thought you were born again of the water and of the spirit. I thought you were a son of God. I thought you were a son. I thought you were different now. I thought you went down in the name of Jesus and you come out with that name applied to you. I'm hurrying, I promise. Ruth said, I'm a Moabite, but I don't have to stay here. Somebody hear me right now. She said, Naomi, I'm following you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And wherever they bury you, that's where they're going to bury me. Some of, Brother Gil, come here. Some of you need to get behind your man of God and say we may not care the last name, but we both have had the name of Jesus applied. And where your people's going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. And where they bury you, you're going to put me in the same church cemetery that my bishop was put in. I wish somebody would realize that God is about to start something in this generation like we've never seen. I was 12 years old. You, some of you may have heard this story before. 
my dad was not raised in church. He watched, he watched his dad shot at 38 years old. My dad at the time was 10 years old. Double barrel shotgun. He was drunk. Family member. Dad was on the, on the porch, Bishop Porterfield. Watched him. He has an image in his mind when he talks about his dad trying to pick up, put organs back into his chest, blew his whole front of his chest out. Went in the back. Ten years old. We're walking. I'm 12 years old. I don't have time to tell you the whole story. My dad, at this point in life, obviously, is a pastor of a church. I'm 12. We're walking down. We live about three miles where my dad, or about, uh, not even that far, probably a mile and a half from where my dad was filled with the Holy Ghost, met my mother. They were married in that church. There's a cemetery where all our family is buried. One day when I was 12 years old, we're walking through. We stop at the cemetery. We stop at the tomb there, and, and there sits my grandfather that I have never met. Matter of fact, I've never met my grandfather on that side. I've never met any of the uncles, none of them. All of them died below 40. Some overdosing, some being shot, some stabbed to death, some one committed suicide. All of that, never met them. My dad walks me, walks me up to it 12 years old. Didn't make any sense to me at the point. At that point in time, makes a ton of sense to me now. And he looks at me, he said, you never met my, my, my dad, did you, Corey? I said, no, sir. He said... You never met your grandfather. I said, no, sir. He looked at me. He looked at me, Brother Gil. He said, your kid's going to meet me one day. I said, why is that, Dad? He said, when I was 20, I broke the curse on our family's life. He said, and I'll live for your kids to see me. Oh, my God. Somebody hear me right now. You're looking at a young man that probably wouldn't be here preaching today if it wasn't for a generation. A 19-year-old boy says it stops here. Not me. Not my family. Not my generations. I choose life for not just me, but for my seed. You say, we're too young. I'm too young to be thinking about the future. You better start thinking about the future because the future will be here before you know it and you'll be fighting stuff that you wish to God you'd have conquered now. Come to the keyboard. You can, play, you, you, you can remain standing. Play softly if you will. Go to the book of Judges, chapter 1, verse 21. I want you to remember this. You have that, throw it up on the, there we go. I want you to read this. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem under this day. I want you to remember Benjamin in the book of Judges. Is that We're going we're gonna to talk about them just a moment. We'll show you in the New Testament how... It is still affecting down the line. Romans chapter 8 verse 37, throw it up there. Paul says, very familiar portion of scripture. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. 
nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul saying that in Romans 8 and 37. I want you to notice something about this scripture. Go back. If you can throw it up there where he says, Now, nor things present, nor things to come. He addresses the present, and he addresses the future. But he does not address the past. Because the only thing that can separate you, life can't do it, death can't do it, height, depth, angels, none of that, present, future, the only thing that can separate us from the the love of Jesus Christ is the past. You say, where does does Benjamin come into this? This is Paul's writing. Go go to Philippians chapter 3 verse 5. I started looking for answers for that. I found out that Paul was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. Of course, that's common knowledge. Because in Philippians 3 and 5 says, If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. Now we knew that but I've never really paid much attention to it. Because the same man says the only thing that might separate us from the love of Christ is our past. And then he addresses his past. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe that could not drive out the Jebusites. They couldn't drive out. They were weak. They couldn't drive out. They let, the, they let the, the enemy sit with them, sleep with them, stay with them. On land they should have owned. They should have drove them out. But they couldn't do it. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. But if you'll go eight verses down, go to verse 13. This is what he says after he states where he's from. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things. You see, he grew up hearing all about how his ancestors couldn't drive out the enemy. He said, but I know I'm the tribe of enemy. He said, but this one thing that I do, I forget about all the failures. And I forget about all the flaws. And I forget about all you say. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you, I don't care what tribe you're from. I don't care what's haunted you. I'm telling you, you can break the curse on your family starting today. And I wonder if there's anybody in this place. The battle of your father is here. The battle of your father is here. And whatever it is that may haunt you, I'm telling you, there is a unique opportunity in this altar right now. The enemy's going to fight it. But I wonder if there's a young man. I wonder if there's a young lady that would get down to this. I wonder. I wonder if there would be a real altar call. I wonder if there would be a real sacrifice. I wonder if there'd be some young man. Brother Hoffman said it last night. I wonder if there's any first-generation apostolics that would get down here and say, what my father couldn't do, I will. What my ancestors couldn't conquer, I will. Choose life. Choose life. Not just for you, but for your seed.
Come on, somebody. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Come on, let there be a war happen in this, in this sanctuary this morning, in this ballroom this morning. Let there be a Holy Ghost. Move. This is how I fight my battles. This is how.